Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Sunday Sessions, 15th of November, 2020. Off we go. Hello there. Well, thank you uh, for joining me. This is our weekly time of exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this with your favorite sanctuary space and expressing inspired visions from your sanctuary and uh, through your writing, through your poetry, music, which is the subject today, art, craft, performance, problem solving and vocation. Now, today's Sunday session is an introduction to harps and bardic folklore. So today I'm going to be sharing a few lovely ancient harper bard stories to set the scene of the very enchanting bard tradition. And then I'm going to hopefully hand you over to Claire Roach, who seems to have uh, unknowingly adopted the she-gifted ancient tradition through the creation and sharing of her songs. There's uh, a few men that actually do this today. There's, you may have heard of them. Robin Williamson's popular. There's Nick Hennessy. But there's hardly any women that really do this at all. There was, there is a Scotswoman, Fiona Davison, who used to. She was wonderful, but she does something else right now. And, and there's Tara Jaff, who beautifully shares Kurdic tales in her own Kurdic language. So she's a natural bard of the Kurds. But I think Glare Roach is a natural, and you can be in for a treat. So let's see, uh, let's see who we got uh, visiting us, uh, joining in today. Uh, Hello there. Uh, we've got uh, Georgina, uh, a new one. Hello, good afternoon. And where are you watching uh, from? Uh, good to see you here. Uh, great. And uh, if, oh, Donna's here. Uh, right, Donna's arrived. Uh, surefire regular. Uh, busy morning here. And uh, yes, you can pick this up anytime, of course. This is going to be archived as well if uh, anybody misses this. And some of you, We'll be watching this, uh, no doubt, uh, as the archive session. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to start really at the beginning. Uh, how did the harp really get into uh, Ireland? I've got quite a bit of a, a picture gallery for you here with all the different things. And the story seems to start, one of the stories of, and again, this is folklore, this is mythology. Um, but I'm going to start with uh, Canna Clovemore, and uh, she's sort of kind of known as, uh, let's see if I can get her a picture of here, she's kind of known as Canola. Uh, started off as a sort of a goddess of the sea, this is an artist impression of her, which uh, she wouldn't have had a harp like this, but I just think that's a, a lovely uh, pretty picture. And uh, the story is she was resting on the uh, seashore, and she heard sweet music and wondering where it was from. She was on a beautiful beach and she discovered that it was wind blowing through the ribs of a bones of uh, the rib bones of a beached whale skeleton. And she wanted to imitate this. So she picked up some of the driftwood and that was on the beach and there were sinews from unfortunate beached whales and dolphins. And she made a frame with the beech wood, sort of trying to copy the curves of these whale bones, but then using the sinews, she realized that the sinews could 
vibrator sound and she put this into the frame and she said this this is really enchanting and words and inspiration were flowing through her and she said this is something that people should be copying this is what people should be sharing so the story is that this was copied and used by people around this island that we call Ireland, and uh, so Canna Clovemore then became known as the goddess of music, inspiration, and dreaming. But unfortunately, very few storytellers talk of her today. She's still become an unknown goddess. Now, there's a similar story connected to Kian and his wooing of Ethna, the daughter of Bala, and both became the future parents of the famous Lou, the long arm of the Tour de Donham, which I'm sure you're more familiar with. And this was after uh, McManon McGlure, the god of the sea, uh, brought Ethna from Tory Island. Uh, I, oh, I, I'm kind of frozen up here. There we go. Uh, that's, that's one of the illusions they've got. This is actually a, an artist impression of canola. And um, right now, this is uh, what we got here. There's a. Uh, uh, a statue of McManaman McClure, God of the Sea. I think it's the only one that I know that's uh, hanging around in Ireland. That's somewhere between Derry and Coleraine uh, up on a hill. Fans, you can walk up to it. There's plenty of car parking. Uh, fantastic place. But anyway, uh, they were walking together uh, along the beach uh, near Ajargain. This is actually where the McGarra Caves are. And they are, this was not. Tide wasn't out enough to see the Magara Caves when I took that photo. But uh, Kian, uh, when uh, walking with uh, Ethna, um, he too well, came across uh, the skeleton of, um, of a beached whale and uh, that had perished. And Kian went up and started plucking away at the rib bones, and out came this harmonious, enchanting music that he played to Ethna as a wooing tune from the whale's bones. And from that moment, Ethna declared her love and passion for Kian, and soon Lou, the long arm of the Tour de Donan, was born. Now, one of Kian's uh, brothers we know today is Dagda, and we know him as a famous ancient harper as, long as, as well as his big pots that never emptied and his club. He carried around with him a harp uh, known as Withner. And uh, I should have a kind of a spelling here uh, for you of, of a Withner. Let's uh, get him up for you. Um, there's a few things need. If you know. There's a kind of Clovemore, Canola. And this is all the different names of the Doida, the Dagda. There you go, in case you want to uh, put them down. And uh, I'll talk about, I'll bring up the spellings of the Withner uh, in a moment. But uh, one of Kian's brothers, is, well, that's it, is a Withner. Doida, as you can see from the listening here, he was known as the good god, also as Olafer, that's the third name along there, and Ruid Rathessa, uh, the red or the mighty one, the one of great wisdom. And uh, Dagda's name was also bent from the Doida, which is the other name I got right at the end. And now the Doida was a kayak hag of conception and rebirth of past souls. And they're stories of an ancient man who became enchanted by her, wooed her, 
And then from him, she conceived the new life to be born every spring. So this man became known as the servant of the doida every winter. And it's from the name of the servant of the doida, it's kind of become shortened and become what we call the dagda today. Now, that's uh, the, the withna. There we go. The withna even itself comes under different names. I call it the withna, but there's an unclear translation of what withna means. Uh, the popular one is wood of harmony. Now, Doida's harp is called, also called the, you can see there's two other spellings there, the Doida the and that translates something like the oak of two blossoms. And sometimes it's known as the Korikathakuro, Korikathakuro, which is, uh, can mean the music or the harmony from the co four cauldron corners, because it said the Wisner had four corners to it. But these four corners, the four cauldrons, are more or less representative of our inside. And the interpretation, uh, not cauldrons where you boil soup up and stews and stuff, but cauldrons within ourselves, four chakras. And uh, also, uh, the if I can bring up, uh, get back to my selection of jolly pictures here, uh, there's uh, that's a, a picture of uh, the doida, the dagda. I couldn't find any decent pictures of the dagda because they're all the artist's impressions are really quite silly. It looks like he's wearing pajamas and stuff in some of them. Uh, but these are the best I can come. This is, I think, in the British Museum on an urn there. And then there's this uh, wood, lovely wood carving. I don't know who did that, but I think that's uh, it's, it's almost like a sort of back end of a breadboard, isn't it? Uh, that's uh, that's quite something as well. Uh, but what's the harp? What did it with? Uh, this is uh, it could the four corners. I couldn't find a picture of a harp with four corners. This is the nearest I could find. Uh, so possibly the Wisner design looked uh, something like that. And I have heard in folklore that it's also looked like something like that, but. It's something we will never know because it's not something that's going to be uh, dug up that easy. Now, um, uh, on Withner was also the original name of the Irish choir Anuna. You might become familiar with them uh, after Riverdance, their popularity in Riverdance. And I often wonder if the old words of core or curry choir uh, oh, that's, that's another Dagda picture. I just love that because of the quaintness of it, that he wasn't just a, a gruff kind of person. But anyway, I was saying, here we go. That's a lovely uh, early picture of an Wisner uh, that became a Nuna with the very, um, oh, Claire's come on board, very good. I don't know if that comes up, but on the left there, the very, very teenager Michael <laughs> Glynn. Uh, wonderful to see that picture. So I often wonder if the quarry involved from choir. And as you see from that lovely picture, the old Anuna picture, there's quite a relationship between the human harmonies and harps. And that picture, I think, shows it. And the Numa in performance have demonstrated that. That's just when they were a little tiny choir and then they kind of expanded. I think that's a lovely picture also of the young Michael McGlynn uh, there. So uh, anyway, uh, let's see who's, uh, I think it's time to see who's come on board. I know I see Claire here, which is fantastic. Uh, Sherry's here. Hello, uh, Sherry, Sherry from Coastal Maine. There we go. Um, saying, and Nola 
uh, obviously enjoying it so far. Thank you very much. And we've got Stephanie Fisher. Would any harpist like to collaborate? Uh, say something uh, in the comments what you mean by that. Um, um, perhaps after the session uh, is, is quite good to have a discussion on that. We can perhaps uh, link you up uh, to various art groups to discuss this, um, which would be great. Or perhaps you can introduce groups that you're already in. The Celtic Harp uh, group is one uh, that's very good. And there's Connie from Florida, lovely. And then we've got um, uh, and Jen, uh, Jenik, I hope I pronounced that right, Jenik Denalter. First time here, harp player from the Netherlands. Great. Sorry if I pronounced your name a bit wrong. So this is going to be different because as well as the regulars with the folklore, we got the lovely harpists as well. And uh, sometime we'll have a show that uh, might include you as well. But this is an introduction to the old folklore. And Kimberly, good morning uh, from Boston. And even Norway's here. Uh, Kirsten, lovely to see you. Lovely. And uh, this is, I want to afford to play the harp someday. Right, that's definitely a question for Claire. I think Claire is, uh, she's watching now and uh, she'll be able to follow on from that. And uh, there's another harpist, Mark. Lovely to see all these harpists. And then there's Lema here who's seen Claire. And a bit after this, Lema, let's see if you get to play the harp as well. <laughs> That'll, maybe you're already doing that. Oh, it's lovely. Donna's here. Uh, right. Okay. Let's get on with the show. And thank you all for being here. Uh, it's lovely, uh, the support here uh, for them. Now I'm going to continue. I live by Cash uh, Coran, and uh, I'm going to go on about uh, a little bit on Coran and his harp. And the Coran, I understood from early storytellers that he's the son of Dagda. But stories I've been hearing recently is the grandson of Dagda. He's the son of Gionset, a famous sort of grumpy, uh, sworn, uh, well holder from Tour de Dunham's stories. Anyway, it's said that uh, being the son or grandson of Dagda, he was the one that really carried on the three strains of enchantment of the bard, the three trees, as I hear them pronounced. Dagda kind of was an originator of this. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm being a bit sluggish. I've got uh, a little bit of a sluggishness on the computer here. So I'm not, uh, I'm not swift with my transitions as I should be. There we go. Now we're, we're back in form there. Anyway, uh, Coran, son of Dagor, grandson, uh, originator of the three streams of enchantment of the barb, the three trays, and you harpists probably are very familiar with them. So I'm not going to talk much about the deeds of Coran today, but about the three streams. And we do, I do bring this up in Sunday sessions because it's relative to a lot of the folklore. There's the gold tree, the strain of the sorrow, the melancholy, and, well, some of your harpists will be familiar if you've got the blues with that one. And then we've got the lovely tree, the joy, the happiness, the dancing, and the jolly tunes and all that good stuff. And so after the sort of challenges of the sorrow and the solving of that, you're out into the joy. And then we have the sauntry, the sleep, the dreaming, the inspiration. And I love this artist's impression. There we go. There's a picture of the sauntry, my favorite one. And I was saying Canola being the goddess of the, of the inspiration and the dreaming as well as the uh, music. 
Well, the wisdom of the three trees, the three strains of the bar, do seem to have been passed from Koran from his father, Doida Dagda. And uh, Dagda, as we know, he went on to, after uh, the, the stuff with the Mona Coricure and the Morrigan, he went on to mate with Bowen, uh, Bowen or Boban of the Boyan. And um, he enchanted her with his harp. And uh, again, the artist's impressions of uh, Bowen are, are pretty ridiculous. I, something, oh dear, maybe my battery's flat. So excuse me if I'm uh, going. This is a, a lovely illustration, I think, of the three strains. Um, this is a modern sculpture. I think that's a lovely one. And there's a born one uh, from the boy, and that's the kind of picture of her also being a goddess of the river, goddess of the salmon, a lovely imagery. But the other uh, ones I've seen of her, they look, uh, as I say, she also has the multicolored pajamas and the makeup and stuff. But what's forgotten is the fact that her name uh, is of the, uh, the white cow. She is, uh, that, so that's representative uh, of her there. Okay, uh, let's get rid of the white cow. Uh, excuse me for the uh, computer misbehaving at the moment. Anyway, there were three sons. Uh, there's one story we're saying the born had three sons uh, from uh, the Dagda. And because of the chanting with me, the three sons were sorrow, joy, and the third one either being sleepy or the dreamer. But the story variation uh, that I like is of the birth of one of the famous, the famous folklore son of Dagdur and Bowen, and that was Engus. And this story moves through the three streams of enchantment during the actual birth of Angus, the cry of sorrow from the soreness from the pangs of the childbirth, the cry of joy from the pleasure of the safe birth and the calming cry of gratitude when the Angus baby was fed and contented and was sleeping. Well, as for Coran, the harper, there's very few mythology stories really about him. Uh, he kind of made his harp from Rowan. The Rowan tree is actually named after him, an old name for Rowan's Coran. And there's a world uh, known as South story. It's a local story. Uh, that's the only picture I could get of Angus going back. Uh, right, come on. I have to remember to change my batteries next time. Sorry about that. Uh, there was culture. A uh, huge sow from the Boyne. Came up from the Boyne. There's a nice artist's impression. Doesn't look like a pig. There we are. There's culture. And I've got a kind of a name. Uh, let's see if we can get old uh, uh, Kelch's uh, name up here. Uh, there. That's what you needed to know of the three there. And there's that Sal herself. So we got the cow. Oh, but what's actually said, it was more like this. And it was actually wrecking the crops around Meath, and it came up north, ravaging all of the crops, roughly following where the N4 road is now. It easily jumped over the Shannon, and no archers, nobody with spears could stop her. And then there's a hill that was near here, the Cache Coran Hill. There the sow approached, and there was Coran playing away with his harp, 
and with the harp and with the strain of the stone tray, put the, the poor sow to sleep. There's another picture of <laughs> the sow to sleep. And the archers of the spearmen then could uh, kill her. And of course, from that, they had a huge feast. And some say, and I should have some pictures of it, some say, there's the actual Kishkoran Hill seen from here. Some say that that's her carcass. And you see the little hills to the right. Uh, that's uh, supposed to be her little piglets that were born after. I should have a, a little, uh, there's a close-up picture of the little piglet hills uh, that was close after. Um, and that's what was done when we were asleep. That's uh, a sovereign artist's impression of what the harp of uh, Corin might have looked like. Um, but as I say, that's artist, it's something we will never know. And from then, Am Corin was known through the island, uh, now called Island. He was a teacher of the three trees, the three strains, teacher of the harper bard of the traditions right up to this day. Um, oh, right. I'm, it's, sorry, I'm going, this is, anyway, Corin's an old word for Rowan, the wood that uh, was used to make the frames of the most angular harps, and I gave the uh, impression there. And uh, there's another impression, that's another uh, imagery of what Corin's harp might have looked like. And the caves uh, there, Whoa, tech. <laughs> uh, now, Kish, Kish, the, the, uh, if I can bring, should, I shouldn't have chose so much tech today, I suppose. Here we go. Let's bring this up. Kish, there you go. Kish. I love this. It's translated like, is this is from the Minoan origin, the key, the first bit, K-Key, being of life. And the east of uh, is being the woman. Bring it together, the quiche. That was known as the woman carrying life, uh, which was a description of a woman uh, being pregnant. Uh, but later quiche being a word for a harper. It's a word meaning harper. Uh, a harper with a small enchanting harp. And uh, so quiche Corin is also known as the harp of Corin. But Kish Koran can also be known as the woman of the Rowan carrying life. Uh, interesting compatibility, I think, between the two. Well, one more legend that I'd like to cover uh, is King David and his harp. And I'm going to pray that the tech here doesn't play up. But I hope you're managing to follow it okay with, uh, with the sort of uh, interruptions as such. Right. Now with David, uh, from the Christian Bible, people familiar with uh, David, of course, and other classic books of religion, the Quran, Torah is in there. King David, the verse writer, the harper, perhaps best known as the composer of the Psalms. Now, when the early medieval scribes got into the scribing industry, their four main sources of content for their scribing were the New Testament Gospels, that's well known, an ancestral archive of the lineage of the elite patrons that paid for their scribing and the families of these elite people, their closest allies, not much different to governments today, I suppose. And they also, the third thing was converting oral stories. Some oral stories are in 
favor of the patrons and they were translated from oral into a scribable language twisted a bit but it was to ensure some preserved archive was kept of them but the fourth thing was the king david psalms there was a lot treasured there was a lot of value in that and my, i've got a favorite word is is derived in if you know from my writings and previous sessions i talk a lot about the derivin people think what on earth is this now first came uh, across this word it was um right again i'm playing with the tech here uh just get the, the david and psalms there's the psalms book anyway i came across it during the dot com boom days of the 90s when a search got me to can't remember what I was searching at the time but it got me to an english translation section of the online archives of a museum in beirut and this was quite remarkable because this beirut was a war at the time it was war torn and very unstable but they really had these stable archives online and there was a section with this online archive comparing the middle east folklore and their tales with the irish folklore tales and this derived name this word just kept coming up there was derived lads everywhere and the translation seemed to explain that the dera was of the oak such as the oak in kildare and kildara dairy and the vid was uh, part of what we use in vision uh, in video and uh, what eventually became the illumination word now together this translated the derived word as visions through some sacred wood but when that's put together that also translates as playing the harp as i often say in these sunday sessions we're so used to using words to describe things but in ancient languages there wasn't the concept of things like we have today the concept was more of the changing conditions that were going on so derived is explaining the condition of the enchantment of playing the harp so ancient words as i say more about conditions now it's interesting to think of the doida's harp the withney is also in storytelling told of being made from oak so that's just me thinking of the derived now the text online from this terror museum also claim the king could not be a king or a chieftain without knowing how to play and use the harp for the vision needed the, the harp to the, to get the vision get the inspiration and share that as prophecy to share with the people and this is what guided the people so it was a, a very important qualification of the king and chieftain to somehow be able to use the harp hence why king david is also famous for his harp and visions uh sung with accompaniment and through the psalms and after one we see the biblical ones and that's the sort of harp i think he could have well had but here in castle dermot if you've been to the high crosses in castle dermot in carlo i think it is uh you see he's got what looks like an angular harp and this was carved in ninth century uh quite near much closer to the david time than what we're at now so i think that tells us a lot i'm always fascinated by that but i do wonder how the, uh, there's some more oak there i do wonder how the psalms must have been like originally we would never know we just have the biblical ones of course but now on to wales there's the patron saint david isn't there in uh, wales and uh, the translation of his name in wales is the beloved 
but uh, they claim that the David name actually comes is pre-Christian to Jewish. That's the Welsh story. But I'm going to go back to the Derevid because there is a place there called Derevid. And uh, if I'm going to bring all these spellings because I'm going to come up with some wonderful uh, archive spellings for you here. Uh, blah, 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 blah. There he is, the, the Derevid there. There you go. Uh, as a reference to you. Uh, David Adera uh, being the orc again. Uh, so let's bring up another oak tree just to verify that. There we go. <laughs> uh, the David. And the David village in Wales is said to be a land that was once that was a very dense forest of oaks. It's only a very small village with a country house there now, a big country house with a tea room, gardens, all that good stuff. But with many folks, David is uh, translated when they pronounce it, I say Duravid. Some people they mispronounce it. Well, it's not mispronounced. When they say Duravid, it comes out Duravid Druid. So, is that a source of the Druid word? I don't know. Some people like to think it's from the uh, Irish name for Oak Dura. But anyway, this is the Duravid. Uh, it's been translated that word as visionary, prophet, carrier of prophecies. So I think that brings us back to the Psalms and what they originally were. Now, I have heard of the Psalms being prophecies that were prophesizing from the vibrations of nature. And when I heard that, it reminded me, I actually got sent to Sunday school, which is a surprise as a child. And at Sunday school, we were told, I was told stories of David using his harp to enchant animals and birds. He would bring animals and birds to him uh, through his harp. So that, that was my first impressions of David. Now, the early medieval 500 AD David of Wales was also, as you see, another spell in the uh, Derwid there. Uh, but he he was never noted for harp playing. He was more famous for living on leaks and refusing to allow oxen to pull plows as a regard did oxen pulling plows as being very cruel. And there were even modern suggestions that he was a vegan. Anyway, I must uh, slip in one more story. We're going to have Claire in a moment. Uh, she's uh, well and truly uh, ready uh, there, but I, if I can clear this, I'm going to get into one uh, kind of lovely uh, story. Um, oh, there, there's David and his leaks. There we go. And if you don't know what leaks are, there's some leaks there. I got that one. Uh, right. Now, I'm slipping to this uh, story quickly. Uh, Claire's got an antique book that I borrowed a while ago, and it's called The History of Irish Music. And with it, there are some annals, there's some pieces from the annals of Irish harpers. And in these two books, uh, there's, this is a copy of the Irish, there's a man holding, he's a famous harper, you might know who that is, he's holding up the annals of the Irish harpers there. And those two must be the best records I know in the history of the legacy of the harping, right through like the stories I was telling, harping in Ireland. I must take another drink before I tell this. Now, story of this time, we're talking about um, 11th century now. And uh, there was this uh, lad, a prince, they called him, Quellen Abgruffid. Um, let's see if I can get you up uh, a few names while I tell this story, because there's some fancy names going to come up with this, so it might help to uh, plot the story. There you go. Whoa, come on. Will you show? There you go. 
there's the names of the characters of this story. Um, now, Corellin Griffith, he was a sort of Prince of Wales. Uh, he, what he was trying to do, it was trying to unite Wales. Wales was quite separated because uh, the people of Wales, they were driven out of what's now England by, first of all, the Romans, and they were put into Wales. Then when the Romans left, they drifted back down into their rightful land. Then along came the Saxons and pushed them back up again. And what was happening, these were various tribes around England, and suddenly they were thrown into this smallish country. And it's a bit like what happened in the USA when tribes were thrown uh, together in, uh, like they were, weren't they? Uh, in, oh, I forget the word, where they were thrown together. Brain dead for it. But anyway, they weren't getting on, and especially the North wasn't getting on with the South. And there was Cruellen trying to bring unity. How can he do this? Now, he'd heard that in Ireland there was great success with bringing unity because they had similar problems, tribal conflicts constantly, still tribal conflicts in a way. But he had heard that they found a way of doing this. And uh, he had heard that it somehow was linked to the Harper Bards. And he had contact with uh, the King of Leinster, Dermot McMorrah. And uh, he was a Dermot was the descendant of Brian Baru, famous for his harp, although the harp in Trinity is an O'Brien harp, nothing to do with Brian Baru at all. I'll bring that up. I was going to bring that up today, but I'll bring that up another Sunday session. Anyway, he, uh, Dermot ex uh, accepted an invitation uh, to come to, uh, by Corwellyn to come over to Wales. And when they got together, uh, at that time, 11th century, Ireland was in disarray again. And, uh, but he bragged that Ireland was actually very much together. And he bragged to Cluen, and the reason they were together is because of the Harper Bar traditions of Ireland. It was the Harper Bars that brought everyone together, bragging away about that, how this brought Ireland together, how all these Harpers. But that was a BS, um, because the Feast of Terror, where all the differences have been settled uh, every three years, and where the whole island eventually honored the High King around this time, around the Soan time. But this was all BS because that stopped in 530 AD when Columkill was tried with the Battle of the Books, and he was sent off to what is now Scotland and landed on Iona. You're probably familiar with the story. So Ireland, since that 532 AD, had been together for about over 500 years. Anyway, Cruellin just was very impressed with this idea of unifying the uh, Wales with the Harper Bar tradition. So he asked Dermot if he could actually come to Ireland and attend the next Grand Feast of Ireland. And through this possibility uh, of including some people from Wales to come to Ireland in the future. There were, I have a feeling there was some sort of trade deal also trying to be going on between Leinster and Wales uh, being maneuvered at the time. Well, McMorrow realized uh, in order to get things moving here uh, with Cuellin, they had to act quickly uh, to put on this reenactment of an ancient fish uh, to impress Cuellin. And, and that included, had to include the presence of a Harper Barbs, who with their enchanting strains, their prophecies. And so McMorrow got back into Leinster uh, and he was in Wicklow, and he ordered some of the local peasants, uh, quick, quick, work out how to get a tune out of a harp. Somehow he managed to get them to create harps, 
and the uh, strings. He had no idea of tuning. They had no idea of tuning. Quick, make up uh, ways of tuning the harps. Make up some prophecy words. Unfortunately, the Irish language at the time and the Welsh languages were quite different. So I assume uh, they could put together what sounded like prophecy words uh, because of the breakdown in language. The, the Corellian would hear all this marvelous Gaelic or whatever they were doing then. He wouldn't understand a word for it, but, from it, but from the feeling of it and from the enchantment, would think that was a grand prophecy of greatness for Wales and all that great stuff. Anyway, McMorrow, the King of Leinster, he hosted this bigly face of, it was in Glendalough, and you're probably all familiar with Glendalough. And he convinced Corellin a reason why the venue, there was some way he, I don't know what it was, he convinced that the venue had changed. Um, uh, they had, had actually changed. And uh, actually, I haven't brought you up some pictures. Come on. <laughs> there is, there, there's Corellin there. And, uh, there is a peasant being issued with a harp <laughs> uh, in Wicklow, on the Wicklow Mountains. And there we are, we're catching up, and there's Glendalough. And that plane on Glendalough, I think, is uh, possibly uh, the most likeliest spot where they would have uh, got together with it. So there we go. We've got this fish uh, going on. Uh, Cruellin invited. It's all happening in Glendalough. And these half bars are only weeks have been issued with the bards. Uh, so uh, <laughs> Dermot told Quillen that these half bards they've been playing for a few weeks were the finest half bards of Ireland, and they had travelled to be at this feast from the four corners of Ireland. And of course, the actual High King of Tara at that time was Turlock Morcona. Uh, he was a former King of Connell. But he was kept right out of the loop. He didn't know this Glendalough fish was going on. Anyway, it's all to impress this Corellin. And Mora was also covertly looking to get Welsh support because Mora himself wanted to be the next High King. So he couldn't do it with his own warrior force. So he was hoping to talk to the Welsh once they got unity to come on board and help Leinster and be part, even be part of Ireland. Uh, this was a part when Wales was almost part of Ireland as well. Unfortunately, Cruellin was very impressed with these novice Harper Bards, believing indeed they were the finest Harper Bards of Ireland. So Cruellin then asked those Bards to come to Wales to set up a similar fish and teach the Welsh people to become the finest Harper Bards, just like they are. And by doing so, Quellin believed uh, that he could help bring the Welsh people together and influence a unity of Wales that could be strong against the Saxons and even move out to the lands that the Saxons had taken away from them. As I say, there was some trade deal in return for all this that uh, Dermot was trying to get going. I forget what it was. Maybe it was an exchange of leaks for harps. I don't know. Anyway, these instant harper bars, they only got to do one feast because, alas, the Normans arrived, they took over, they got into Wales, and the, the follow-up uh, fish gatherings were gone for a while. Also, the Normans were successful in Wales. Um, because they were so successful, have I got some lovely uh, Norman pictures here? Uh, that's one of the peasant harper bards there. And this is the uh, part of Wales that uh, Crowelling had um and uh, that was his bit and he was trying to unite the uh, south 
uh, in with this. I'm trying to get rid of this thing here, right? And uh, and anyway, the um, what happened was Dermot thought, hmm, these Normans, I can uh, probably get a much better deal with these Normans than I can with the Wales. So Quillen kind of lost favour then, and uh, he formed up a relationship uh, with the Normans, formed up a relationship with uh, Strongbow, and Strongbow uh, got married to Dermot's uh, daughter, Aoife, and uh, that started off the Normans being established in Ireland, and as you know, mind though, the stories came that the Normans then became more Irish than the Irish, and that started a whole new history chapter uh, in Ireland. So uh, I've got some picture. Those are the characters there. There we go. Uh, there's Rory O'Connor, who was the High King, uh, who was there from Connaught. There's Aoife, who the marriage to Strongbow changed the whole of Ireland. And there's a sneaky Dermot uh, in the corner there. So uh, because the Norman Slow was so, so successful, um, uh, there was a firm establishment in the Catholic Church. There, that meant the Irish Harper Bard's got a new role. But all that I'll tell you another time. But I'm going to pass you over to Claire at last. She's waiting there. And uh, she's going to show you how you could be just like those Irish peasant farmers. You can grab a harp, work out some tune on them, and within weeks become the instant finest world players from the four corners of your country, full of enchantment and prophecy. And perhaps before you know it, you're the star and the enchanters of the three trees at your next local fish. I'm, before I pass you to uh, Claire, I'm going to have a look at what uh, you've been saying. I've been ignoring you for a while. Uh, let's see who's uh, here. Uh, right, we've got, uh, whoa, there's your crazy uncle. Uh, hello, he, he won't come on board, okay. There you go. There, from Santa Fe. And there's Stephanie, hey. I do not have a harp part currently looking for a harp player for singing and lyrics. No, I'm not. Sorry, I'm not a harpist. It's really someone might be able to uh, contact you, message you independently. Uh, after this session, um, I'll message you a few uh, suggestions uh, myself. But no, I'm a lousy. I'm like one of those peasants, and I'm, I haven't performed my first feast yet. Uh, and there's Sandra, who is... <laughs> uh, Sandra is one of these people who is full of magic and a shame I haven't got. We'll have you on a show sometime, Sandra. Lovely, uh, Fairy Harper. I'm going to uh, put some recommendation about her. And there's Jane, don't know where you live, but can I have a look at the harp part for your song? Again, that sounds like a question for Claire. Um, and there's Stephanie again. Uh, excuse me that this is not coming up, Slicker. I'd love to get a harp someday myself. And there's there's some real enthusiasts, Didier and Denise. Uh, we don't play harp. But uh, Didier does lovely photographs of harp players, uh, photog a great photographer. And he brings out the enchantments of the harp players just by his photographs. Uh, I'll have to see if I can post something on that. Uh, wonderful. And, uh, and then we got Stephanie. 
Fisher. Uh, Claire will probably be able to answer these uh, when she has a break on that. But anyway, that seems to report. I'm so pleased there's a, there, there are all these harpers. It kind of changes the kind of tune, theme, uh, everything about this. So after leaving you in suspense, let's bring on Claire now. I better put my headphones on so I can actually hear what Claire has to say. Right. Claire, hello. Hello, Joe. <laughs> can you hear me? Uh, you look very invisible. I don't know how, how have you got the, uh, you've got the camera in an odd place. Yeah, the cam your camera is in a very strange place. Yeah, uh, we're, only, we're only seeing half of you. That's it. You're <laughs> is that better? Oh, yeah, very clear now. Oh, much better. And we've even got from you. That's fabulous. Is that better? That's brilliant. So uh, this is this is Claire Roach, and uh, she's going to show you how you can pick a harp from nowhere and be the star of the show at the next fish in your area. So far away, Claire. It's lovely that we've actually got you here at last. And thanks, everybody, for the patience in waiting. John, I think you're um, – what's this? I think you see me through rose-colored glasses. Uh, now, all I can do is tell my story. I wouldn't assume uh, to, to say, you know, look at me and then, you know, go off um, and win faces. Now, can you hear me all right? I can. And I Great. think and, uh, the audience look as if they can hear you as well. <laughs> well, look, thank you very much for coming. And I've jotted a few notes down so that I don't waffle. Um, and what I'd like to, to begin with, um, uh, well, first of all, thank you, John, and thank you, everybody, for coming. But um, th the first thing I should say is that unlike immensely successful um, composers and songwriters, I have a tiny, tiny uh, little miniature way of writing songs and um, the, I suppose all I can do is share what, what uh, my experience and I really hope that it will be of value to you. Um, and so I would begin by, by saying that um, it was such a help to have uh, learned music as a very young child. Um, nowadays, there's incredible ways of reading music. And there is a tension, of course, between somebody who learns by ear and somebody who only reads music. Now, I was fortunate to have both these, these elements. So in harp school at age 12, um, the wonderful harp teacher would call out the chords. And that was an amazing way to learn. But one of the, Mrs. Ferreter was her name, but one of the most beautiful things she said to me was, over there now, Claire, into the corner and compose. So we had already learned chords, um, which was a terrific help because you could see it visually. And as you know, the harp is like a piano. And I compose songs 
uh, on the piano as well. So I can visibly feel and see uh, the chords and it's such a help. So, you know, an awful lot of the chords would have been, you know, E and uh, this is how she used to, how she used to change, uh, uh, but um, so having told you about the tension between um, a brilliant virtuoso musician and somebody like myself who really hadn't the education in music, I had studied harmony and theory, but I couldn't get it in my head. But what I could see was the adventure of notes on the harp. And I would say that lessons are a great help. As I say, they give you, you know, structure of, of chords, which, which are the recipe, if you like, for your work. So you could be given a chord, that's A, but then you can make all sorts of different uh, variations. And it's just the way your fingers go. Now, I'm, I will always be a novice because I'll always be learning, having taken up the harp again at age 36, and that's not today or yesterday. But the important thing about that was that, um, to say to you that I hadn't the courage of my own songs and I was defined by what I wasn't. I wasn't a concert harpist and I wasn't an Irish harp, which is over there, a, a, a traditional Irish harpist. I was a singer harpist and that kind of didn't fit anybody. Uh, so I just finally got the courage at age uh, 36 and I'd forgotten everything. So really, I was a novice completely, um, but I just followed my own path. And as a child, all the ages from 13 upwards, I had recorded on a reel to reel tape. And I would say to you, as you sit down to any instrument, if you if you have any little tinkle of harp of a, of a sound in your mind, jot it down quickly, jot it down are recorded because these this would be your harvest. I mean, 45 years later, I found a complete entire song that I recorded 45 years later. I had found it on the real trail tapes. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is so often we are pushed down by what we are defined as not being, which is a very roundabout way of saying, go with your heart and with your soul. And that's how I came to compose. I would say the basis was of extraordinary love and passion for the subject. So maybe as a 16 year old, um, I would have had I would have learned maybe a few chords, but the essential thing was to sit down and experiment and wander. And as John said earlier, dream. And I've always had a passion for fields. So I would sit down, I must have done that all those years ago, and just made this up and perhaps taped it. But I do hope you'll like it. Um, John speaks to me, he can, he can see more than I can do. He says I use a lot of drone. <laughs> and I do, in so much of, of, of the music. And that's 
the bases. That's like your airport. That's where you're lifting off. And so you, you might, for the harpers amongst you, you might just see the unusual way I go with this because I just kind of fiddle around uh, with the accompaniment. But the words and the accompaniment come together. They're just one, they're just one thought, as James Joyce said, forged from the smithy of my soul. So without further ado, you might like to hear this. I was 16 or 17 and it was sitting in a green field. So that song, um, 
is still um, very much in my mind um, about the beauty of the fields, but of course, to get back to reality, having been nurtured by them. Um, so John was saying, well, look, how do, you how do the songs come together? And really, as I said, it's from a very strong feeling, feeling of wonder, and a feeling of love, or say in a song like the Irish tragedy, which is on the piano, a feeling of complete sorrow. Um, so it was interesting to hear the three strains of music, which we would have learned around. And I'm always conscious to do that. Um, on one song, uh, uh, Longing, it's just a radiance um, of, of, of just joy, just complete joy. Um, but I don't want to go on too long. And uh, one thing I might say to you is um, about, uh, of course, love is such a strong emotion. And John was speaking about prophecy and uh, dreaming. So this song might, might mirror that. Um, there again, you, you, you will see um, the accompaniments are so simple. They're all, they're not technically brilliant. Now I would love to do more lessons for the, to be technically brilliant. However, as I said to you, I, I go with what I have. And that's just to sit down, the, the feeling comes and the music comes and mostly it's all at once. Um, I must say one of the most beautiful performances that I ever saw was a young German lady who came into Bridget's garden where John was leading a tour and I was playing. And she just played on C. And she did a whole meditation on one note. And this is pure magic because we're too, we're too uh, tyrannized by not being, you know, not being proficient, not being technically brilliant. And I understand that. And I recognize it, but I go with what I have. And I explore. And of course, I chance the arm a lot of the time. Um, but this, this is a, this is to get back, to get back to the dreaming and the promise and the, the strong, strong feelings of love, both of nature and of the person that was in this. Also, um, John has spoken to me about Ashlings and the song I sang last week, Symbolic, was really like an Ashling and a, and a prediction and a, a promise as well. But you, you'll see, that's for Harper's Among You. That is one of my, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's an easy way to kind of step the scene. And of course, there's the drone. And this is Fields in Fasro. Yes, to 
But we were warm looking at the fields. you're going to sing about and maybe a little bit of chording or maybe not just come as John says to the instrument and let it fly now one thing I would like to say to you is I remember somebody said to me oh nobody wants to listen to a nice lady playing a nice harp and that was a bit of a jolt but what I felt was when I took the harp up again um, it was at a time when I wasn't able to ride a horse or sail a boat. 
which I had done right up to my 30s. But this harp, and I hope your instrument, your harp or your piano or your guitar, will have the same primal lifeline that was for me. This is like nestling against a horse's head and the shape is like a harp, uh, like a boat. So the adventure in it. Now, I want to finish because I know the time is going, but the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And last night, John said, well, will you play the Irish harp? Now let's see, can you see me still? <laughs> no, you can't. I'll have to push this out of the way. Then I'll bring the Irish harp. And uh, so this is the proof of the pudding in the eating. And uh, John said, oh no, I'd love you to play the Irish harp and play your own songs. So, this is what I did last night about eight o'clock. Now, to be honest, no, it wouldn't break records or, or what would they call it? It wouldn't be top of the pops. But I thought you'd like it. I was uh, just sitting here. And you hear the groan, which I love. Because I say it's like a boat taking off. And then a little twiddle. Well, there's some questions, uh, if you can answer some questions. Uh, and this is, and this is certainly now, if I can, this Karen, very important because you never mentioned how the songs came together. So there you go. How the songs actually come together. Uh, they come together out of a strong feeling about something, whether it's emotion or an exquisite 
thought about how exquisite nature is. Um, and sitting in a green field is, is exactly that. And they just come together out of very strong, positive feelings and wonder. And, and that's, they just arrive. Um, yeah, I don't sit down to say I will write a poem or a song about a field. It just, you, you sit there just like I did last night. You mm -hmm. pick a chord, as they say, any chord. And off you go, and that's how that's how that's how it happens. Because, uh, as I was saying with Claire, how what inspired me to do this uh, session was um, is is finding tapes. Uh, Claire was sorting out a house that of uh, of her father, and there was stuff everywhere. There was cassette tapes. There was reel to reels, and uh, we were playing them back. And there was Claire as a teenager. And it was all this rambling that uh, uh, she could probably barely play the instruments. And there was stuff coming into her head. She was putting it onto the microphone with a Sony two-track tape recorder. And uh, it was just stuff from nowhere. And uh, she then went back to it and crafted it. And Sitting in a Greenfield is a very good example of that. If you'd heard what it was like as a teenager, it was really having the confidence of someone sitting down with an instrument they haven't got a clue how to play, although Claire did obviously had some lessons. But anybody, uh, I'm thinking to myself, I did this with a guitar. I had some words in my head. I'd never played a guitar in my life. I was 12 years old. I quickly uh, looked up a Burt Whedon <laughs> book. Oh, yeah, I can put my fingers there. Three chords, out came the song. And this is what Claire seems to have done. So if you can talk more a bit that of how you bring the songs together from those very early beginnings. Well, yes, John, it's exactly what you said. You have an idea and you sit down and you play away and over, it's like knitting sometimes, over and over, uh, you, you'd experiment with the different um, structure, say, of, of the chord and you'd experiment um, and sometimes, you know, you'd find something and you just go the next note. So it's really all, um, what can I say? It's by ear. It's, it's definitely by ear and by feeling. And as I said to you, I'm, I, you know, when I think of Andrew Lloyd Webber and these incredible composers, they, they have the ability and the talent to write down the notation and, and they have a huge uh, compass uh, of writing but at minus forged it's, it's very small and tight and uh, it, it just you know I would sit down and, and it just goes and there's a lot of songs like that I was thinking once about a beautiful now this is when I was 18 a beautiful man's face so I just sat down and I said gosh his face is perfect and it's it's automatic, um, but there again, I'm conscious it's you know it's not top of the pops and it's not uh, it's automatic, but uh, not to everybody's taste. That's essential to acknowledge that. Uh, there's one question here, and uh, although it was really about the bardic, uh, is the such a gorgeous harp, and of course you've got the kafiki harp there, which to me sounds like 
uh, it's the nearest uh, harp where it's like the wind naturally flowing through the harp as if it's a wind harp as you're playing it. Yeah, to be honest, it's very sparkly. It's very light. It be this is very, the the bigger one. I like the the bass notes because that's the big drone. Now this has a great drone as well. And then, so this is very sparkly. You know, it it's it's very light. A lovely deaf man uh, came to a concert where I lived in America, and I was so humbled. He said, "Down here," he said, "it's very." I, I know it's very deep and big. And he said, up here, it's like the birds. And I thought that was so lovely. And, um, you know, just like a bird, it's innate, it's in you. And um, I, you know, I, and so I knew what was innate in me, that I hadn't the technical ability because there were so many years I didn't learn. And I don't think I had the patience to learn harmony and endless endless exercises i just hadn't that talent that other brilliant harpists have and the same for traditional i hadn't the the ability to play to play as they did but i just went with my own instinct and what was in me and the love and that just came <laughs> well that was gorgeous claire um we're gonna have to uh, get you on again find some other excuses to get you on uh that was a fabulous the presentation and uh it was great to sit back and even a complimentary song goodness me, <laughs> <thrown in. laughs> uh, goodness me. so i'm still sort of dazing from that of course but uh that was uh lovely and i hope we'll come back to this at least more than once a year find any excuse for you to come back but hopefully everyone out there that you that's given you some sort of passion don't be scared of an instrument don't think you've got to run for lessons don't think you've got to run for a library of manuals to teach you how to do it in some ways i think the manuals are great as showing you what you've discovered for yourself and how you can perhaps add to that don't be scared of your native soul and uh, your native natural expression Anyway, that was great. I'm gonna, just going to uh, explain what's coming up and we'll come back to you and say uh, uh, sort of farewells before we go. But thanks very much, Claire. That was so beautiful. But don't go away. Uh, I'm just uh, going to explain what's coming up because we've got some great sessions coming up. Uh, next week on the 22nd of November, we've got uh, preparing, uh, it's the 22nd, yeah, we're preparing for winter uh, folklore food and foretelling. And since it's the last session that's in uh, November, it's going to be the stuff that I never carried on, uh, got to with uh, Sawan, November tradition. So we will uh, uh, things like the broomstick, the um, stories and traditions around using the broom uh, through winter and some other characters of the underworld that are around between Sawan and Imbolc. So we'll continue with that. Then we'll talk about the food. Uh, we got uh, two, uh, mead is a big thing. We've got some lovely guests who've been making mead and they'll be discussing uh, mead between each other. They'll be on next week, so that'd be great. And then the 29th of November, oh, it's always very popular here. And this time we're going into using Owen for divination. 
So that, and that's great, obviously, for people are starting to think about their affirmations for 2021. And 6th of December, uh, let's, let's go for the Adam. Uh, there we go. That's some OM symbolism there. And then uh, 6th of December, going to start introducing uh, some December traditions. There'll be live guests on for that. And then on the 13th is one people are, I know have been looking forward to. It's actually, um, because it's become very, very popular lately, are the reindeer folklore. Uh, so I'll be featuring people like Ellen, of course, and that's an artist's impression of Ellen there, and the stories of Ocean. And got a lovely guest on uh, telling a story from the Isle of Sky about Ocean. Uh, so that's uh, what's coming up. So that's, uh, that's almost our day complete. Uh, just a reminder, the Sunday sessions here are brought to you. Uh, thank for your subscriptions on Patreon. I haven't got the banner up yet, but I'll put it up. And uh, for people who are subscribers on the Patreon, uh, we are, I am putting together a course uh, of she, water, and tree folklore. And uh, I hopefully, uh, as soon as possible after the Christmas, I'll have the first sections out to you. And people that are subscribers are just going to, I'm not doing the course fees on this. Um, it's going to be just the subscribers, a gift to them, uh, the ones uh, that come on to the Patreon there. So thanks very much, uh, everyone. This has been uh, fabulous uh, with Claire and uh, not so fabulous with the computer today. Uh, there should be a bell. I gather there's a new bell below in the uh, Facebook as well as on the YouTube. And you can click any of them and it will give you reminders of what's uh, coming up. Uh, let's uh, give you one more check here to see what uh, you lovely folks are saying. Uh, Terrilyn, many thanks. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, great. And Elise, thank you. Thank you all. And uh, uh, Jenica, there, Carla there. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, uh, and, and someone that hasn't come up there, Carla, thank you. Oh, all these people. And Suzanne, there we go. Uh, Suzanne uh, and Sandra, one day we've we'll, got to leave, got to see you sometime. Tea time in Tennessee. Right, uh, great. Thank you all for uh, being on board here. Uh, that's lovely. And uh, Claire, I'll bring, let's get Claire back up. There you go. A few words to everyone. Thank you. Hello, Claire. Thing, thank you, John. One thing I didn't mention, maybe not enough, that the note itself, sometimes is the direct uh, the direct feeling the direct emotion and in visiting our uh, james blenner has added notes that entirely summed up uh, my son just in a few notes so the, you know a note a phrase in in the songs can just immediately express the emotion so i'd like to say that ah oh, that's uh <laughs> Fabulous. Now, for anyone uh, who's watching later, because this is archived, please keep your comments going. Keep asking the questions. I can pass them on to Claire. Uh, and this is sort of going to be archived for life now. So to everybody there, enjoy a safe week uh, full of your wonder, inspirations, and uh, celebrations and uh, enchantments. Until next Sunday, play well. And so from both of us, it's...
It's so bye-bye. Oh, my goodness gracious.